What's up, Knowledgers? This is Danny. What's up, guys? This is Chris. And y'all are listening to Serial Knowledge. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another week of Serial Knowledge. I hope y'all missed us. I missed you guys. I missed Danny. I missed his banter. Thank you. I missed you too, Chris. I know. And I know y'all are dying to hear about the rest of the case of Israel Keys. And so... Let's just hop right into it. Let's Dude, I, I, I hope you do. had a good week. Did you have a good week? I had a great week. Great. I had a great week too. But I have questions. Well, I need answers. I'm going to answer them. That's okay. why I just quickly wanted to ask how you were doing. And let's hop right into this. All let's right, skip l- the rest of the bullshit. Let's l- go. Let's get on this bitch. <laughs> let's hop on the murder train. Let's, let's go. Okay. Quick, quick recap. Israel Keys is in jail awaiting trial for the kidnapping and murder of Samantha Koenig. We're back with this asshole. Knowledgers, <laughs> I think Chris got a little excited. Just a little uh, bit. So he's in he's in jail, waiting trial for this for the kidnapping and the murder. And he had been interviewed for over forty hours by a police detective and an FBI agent. And he started to confess to some of the other murders that he committed that they didn't know he committed. I wonder if they like tag teamed him. You know, like in tag team like wrestling or shit. <laughs> Just beat the shit. Out no, of they're like right tagging each other. In you're and out. it. <laughs> so. Anyway, these confessions lead us to a couple named Bill and Lorraine Courier. Okay. Bill and Lorraine were a quiet couple who lived in Essex, Vermont. Bill was 49 years old and worked as an animal technician at the University of Vermont. And Lorraine was 55 years old and she worked at Fletcher Allen Healthcare. So, so, so they were... Just normal uh, average run of the mill. Yeah, normal older people working older people jobs who mm. like to hang out at home. Ah, <laughs> that sounds like me. Yeah, they reportedly were homebodies and they just liked spending time at home with their pets. Damn, that is me. Right. <laughs> However, on a night in June of 2011, that all changed. Israel Keys told investigators that he flew from Anchorage to Chicago with plans to visit his brother in Maine. He rented a car while he was in Chicago but decided to take a detour on his way to Maine. While passing through Burlington, Vermont, Keyes made a stop and collected a five-gallon bucket that he had buried years earlier. This bucket contained zip ties, ammunition, guns, silencers, Drano, and duct tape. The ultimate serial killer subscription box, guys. Right, exactly. Like, For $19.99, you can get yours now. Yeah, once a month. Let's get it. Let's do it. Let's not. Ah oh, man. <laughs> These buckets were later referred to as Key's kill kits or murder kits. And investigators found kill kits in both Alaska and New York, but Keys admitted to having others in Washington, Wyoming, Texas, and possibly Arizona as well. God damn. I know. He just was ready to kill wherever he wanted to. I'm surprised he didn't just plant one in all every state. Every just, state. Just in case. Yeah. He might have, honestly. I, we just I, haven't I, found them yet. Okay. <laughs> I want to so, go search for this one. I, I want to see if there's one in Colorado. I'm going to go. Pro- do it. Let's yeah. go. So, <laughs> after Israel collected <laughs> his kill kit from Burlington, he started searching for victims at random. Keys eventually happened upon the courier's home around midnight after he left his hotel on foot. Keys first cut the courier's phone line. He then broke into the attached garage of the house. After that, he entered the kitchen from the garage, and from there, he made his way to the couple's bedroom and he found the couple sleeping in their bed. Bill and Lorraine woke to the sight of a man dressed in all black, wearing a headlamp, and armed with a gun. Keyes took Bill and Lorraine and tied them up using the zip ties from the bucket that he had recovered. He then started interrogating the couple, 
asking if they had a safe, where their ATM cards were, and whether or not they had a gun. Now, Lorraine did keep a gun on her for self-defense, but because she was in bed, ready to actually she was sleeping when Keys broke in, she obviously didn't have it on her at the time, but she did tell Keys that she had a gun with her usually, and so Keys went and found her gun, took that, and he also took both of their cell phones. Sir, if you ever broke into my house, you would not be getting into my room. Yeah, definitely not. No, Mine either. Because I live on a ground floor apartment, and our sliding glass door and our front door, I mean, you've heard our front door, it literally looks like... It's super loud. It's super loud. And our sliding glass door, I mean, yeah, you could probably close it quietly. Um, but it's pretty loud, too. It's pretty loud. And the fact that we have, well, right now our living room is packed full of shit because we're getting ready to go on vacation. But oh, good luck tripping over all that shit. Right. And, and not, not to mention that Ben has multiple guns in the oh, house. Okay. Well, he, he actually went and bought a gun safe because it is law in Colorado now for it to be locked up. Yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah, I hear that. I'm f- my our gun safe is literally about uh, six feet away from me. Yeah, you'll be fine. So, um, <laughs> by the time you even make it over all of our shit that's laying in our living room, you're gonna be hearing the sound of a gun cocking. Yeah, for sure. So you're you're not even gonna be like, "Where's your gun?" Right here, motherfucker. Right. <laughs> I don't know about you, Danny. Oh, I yeah, my my sidearm is in my nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so keys. After collecting the phones and the gun, Keys forced Bill and Lorraine into their car and drove them to an abandoned house that he had already scouted out before finding the courier's home. Keys left Lorraine inside the car and forced Bill down to the basement of the abandoned building and tied him to a stool. While this was happening, Lorraine managed to free herself and escape the vehicle and she started running towards the main road. Keys came back outside as Lorraine was making her escape, and he caught up to Lorraine, tackled her, dragged her back to the house, and into one of the bedrooms. He then tied her arms and legs to the bed. That's when Bill started shouting, Where's my wife? Where's my wife? Where's my wife? Where's my wife? When Keys went down to check on Bill, he found that he had partly escaped from his ties. Keys later told investigators that this really pissed him off because, quote, there's a very specific way I want things done, and I have the whole thing planned out. I have everything I need to do it. Keyes lost control after seeing that Bill had messed up Keyes' carefully planned attack, and in his rage, he struck him with a shovel repeatedly before taking out a gun and fatally shooting Bill multiple times. Keyes then returned to the bedroom where he cut Lorraine's clothes off with a knife then raped her multiple times, strangling her while doing so to the point that Lorraine lost consciousness. He sounds like the type of person I would not want to be friends with. That's a the understatement of the century. No, like, can you imagine, like, if you even, like, canceled plans? Like, say he was a normal guy, right? right. Like, he didn't do any of this shit. Not a murderer. But you, like, go to, like, say, dude, I can't go out. Like, some shit came up. I feel like he'd be the type of friend that would, like, ghost you for two months because... Oh, yeah, blow up at you for doing that or something like that. I No. <laughs> I don't know. He's he's definitely an explosive person, it seems like. But at the same time, very meticulous. So it's a very scary combination. It is. That, that happens to be one of the scariest personality types. I've come across people like that, okay? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not... Like, I know of them. I'm not friends with them because I'm not... 
very meticulous. Yes, I like to plan things. Right. But I'm not going to be explosive mad if you cancel. However, I have known people like that where if you cancel plans for any reason, they get so mad at you that you they make you feel like the worst person on earth. Right. It makes you not want to make plans with them anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Or never talk to them again. Yeah, definitely. So after Lorraine had lost consciousness, Keys then brought her to the basement and in the process she woke up. He brought her down to see her husband's bloodied, brutalized, lifeless body. He then sat Lorraine down on a bench, came up from behind her, wrapped a rope around her neck, and strangled her until she was no longer breathing. Asshole of the century. How many times can I say asshole in this episode? Uh, I don't know. Maybe the first fan to count will send you something. Cool. <laughs> and we don't we don't have anything out for you guys yet. We can figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Keys then took a bottle of Drano, doused the bodies with it. He then took the bodies and shoved them into a corner in the basement and covered them with random debris that he found in the house. Keys got back into the courier's car, took it to a parking lot nearby where his rental car was waiting for him. He got into his rental car and he drove off. I was almost expecting you to say that he lit them on fire. No, he so he covered their bodies in Drano because apparently the Drano helps speed up decomposition. Huh. And I think I read somewhere that it also can help prevent... Stench? The scent, yeah, from people being able to find I it. Li- like, yeah, it's what I literally thought when Danny said Drano, I was like all... He set them on fire? No. No. <laughs> he didn't set them on fire, but he, he basically doused their bodies in Drano and then covered them with just like trash that he found in this abandoned house in the corner You are of the trash, basement. sir. You are trash. Yeah. Trash. So Literal trash. The fact that he already had his rental car waiting for him in a nearby parking lot really does show how meticulous and calculated he was. It does. Even while he was taking the lives of other human beings, killing people, and he's just calm, collected, calculated. That, I mean, and he, here's the thing is most serial killers, they have a motive or they have some sort of, they have an MO, an MO behind it. Like Ted Bundy, he was mad at his ex-girlfriend or his mom. I'm not sure who. Right. Like they have a reason for what they're doing. Oh, but Israel Keys, he was just like, nah. Everything about him seems so random. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. Psycho. The murder of the couriers baffled investigators for months. They had almost zero evidence other than the fact that the window to the courier's home was broken. And sadly, Bill and Lorraine's bodies were never recovered from the abandoned house. What? They were their bodies were never recovered and they were never they were never able to have a proper burial. You said he murdered the couriers in what year? 2011. Okay. And he was arrested in 2012, correct? Correct. So there's about a year gap. Right. Did the police even go back to this location and look for the bodies or did they just assume that? It doesn't really say. um, And it doesn't say that the bodies were never discovered. It just says that the bodies were never recovered from the abandoned house. So which I thought was an interesting. (laughs) But if they're not discovered, they're not recovered. Right. So. I'm not exactly sure why, because this was something that Keyes admitted to in his interviews while he was awaiting his trial for Samantha. Yeah, so I I don't understand why the police weren't like, "Um, can you write down the address 
Right. Of so, this, or at least the street name of this abandoned house, and we can find it. But at the same time, it was also reported that Keyes really got off on like giving them some information of the crimes that he did, but like not giving them all of the story. Oh, so, so it was like a it was like a a cat and mouse game. Yeah, it was it was definitely something that he liked to play into for sure. You sicko. Yeah. So shortly before Keys was captured um, and arrested for Samantha Koenig, he was actually able to spend some time with his mom and his siblings in Texas. Uh, his father had actually died a few years prior. That's why he wasn't there. Uh, during his visit, one of his sisters tried to get him to reconsider religion. And there was actually a pastor who was there with the family at the time. And this pastor said that Keys responded to his sister by saying, quote, you don't know the depths of darkness that I've gone to. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. Tell me, good sir, what have you done? I know. I I wish we had more information. Oh my god, I would love to sit down with him. Almost all of the 40 hours of interviews that they that the police did with mm-hmm. keys in jail yeah. are on the FBI's website and you can watch them. Oh, I know they are. Yeah. However, there's a difference between watching them and being there face to face with them. I mean, there's just and y'all you guys are probably listening to this going, "She is so fucking sick." I am. No kidding. <laughs> but it um, would be it would be fascinating from a psychological standpoint to try to talk to him and understand what makes his brain tick the way that it does. And honestly, guys, that's kind of why I'm going back to school. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I am in school for forensic psychology. Basically, what that is, is I would be the ones that sit down with these people and pick their brains about why they did what they did. Yeah, and interview them and everything like that. So I I wish that some of these people were still alive. I'm so excited. Like, I... Most of the people, however, that I would like to sit down with are dead. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, fair. Charles Manson's dead. Ted Bundy's dead. Jeffrey Dahmer's dead. Yeah, there's some fascinating <laughs> ones that, unfortunately, we won't be able to pick the brains of. That sucks, man. I know, it really does suck. It really does. But there's still some that are alive that I kind of want to pick their brains. Like the yeah. Boston Marathon bomber. His One of them is, you know... I don't know if you guys know, one is dead, one is alive. He's actually out here in our federal prison. Yeah, we have a Supermax prison out Mm -hmm. here, um, kind of near the part of Colorado that we live in. And so that would be fascinating to be able to interview him. Um, Son of Sam. No, he's... Is David Berkowitz still alive? I'm actually not sure. We would have to check on that. All right, we looked it up and he is alive. Awesome. I, I should have known that. I feel like I feel disappointed in myself that I didn't know that off the top of my head. Yeah, there's there's still some pretty big ones out there that are... Yeah, there definitely is. Oh, you know who'd be interesting? Who? Rodney Alcala. That would be a really interesting one. That would be a really interesting one. Yeah, for any of you who don't know that name just by the name, he's the dating game killer. Mm-hmm. And that is also a case we will cover, but instead of talking about that, let's get back to the case we have at hand, okay. Mr. Israel Keys. Sorry, guys. I, I'm like bunny trailing it tonight. It's okay. Everyone likes your banter. Aw, thank you guys. <laughs> I appreciate you loving my banter. So, after Israel was arrested, he was held in the Anchorage jail even though he was being held for a federal crime. They had him in a jail while he was waiting his trial. And who would have guessed, but from the moment that he got in jail, he was a difficult prisoner. Huh. I know. 
I, so, I could have seen that coming from 10 miles away, hitting me with a two by four. Yeah, we definitely could see that coming for sure. So in the spring of 2012, he slipped from his restraints and tried to escape from a court appearance. Uh, he was tackled by U.S. Marshals. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> he was also tased <laughs> at that time. <laughs> I would have paid big bucks to see that. I, yeah, I kind of take some joy in knowing that he was tackled and just, tased. Just because everybody responds differently. to I, And I've learned this. Uh, people respond to being tased differently. Did you know that? Yeah, definitely. I didn't know that. I thought that everybody would respond in some sort of pain and agony. Right. Convulsions. <laughs> um, my husband had to get tased for training at work. Right. For his job. Yeah. He's one that wasn't really affected by it, which I'm, I'm surprised. Interesting. Yeah. But he said there was a guy that laughed while he was getting tased. Weird. Um, there was a guy that cried. I mean, it, it just, yeah. it depends. So That's interesting. I, I, again, I would have paid big bucks to see Israel Keys being tased yeah. by uh, U.S. US Marshals. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, he was tackled and tased by U.S. Marshals, so obviously he did not escape. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but he also had gotten in trouble on more than one occasion for using dental floss and paper clips to make a pick for his handcuffs. He did this multiple times. <laughs> of course he did. Why wouldn't he? Right, exactly. Uh, for most of his incarceration, he was classified as a, quote, max max detainee, and he was subject to the highest security precautions. Which is funny because I've also learned, and, and this is the greatest thing about being a correction officer's wife and yeah. when you're a true crime junkie as well. Yeah. Because you tend to ask, I tend to ask my husband a little bit more of the weird ass questions. Sure, for sure. Um, because he actually said that when they transport prisoners and i don't know if this was you know the case back in 2012 uh, but when they transport prisoners now they're actually placed like this in a lock box right they actually have a lock box around their their hands guys so right. they can't i mean they have of course they, they have, have a, no ability to escape pretty no much. they have the shackles on their feet like you you guys see in movies and then they have the the shackle around their around their, their waist, waist. Mm -hmm. but then the shackle is locked onto a Lockbox. The shackles around their wrists are locked onto a lockbox. Yep, yeah. and that lockbox is locked onto the, the their waist. waist. Yeah. So they literally sit there, and I asked my husband. I said, "Do do they not like get tired?" Because I he's like, "We don't care." <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're in there for a reason. So. Right. But these security precautions that Keys was subject to included being escorted by two officers while in full restraints any time that he left his cell. Yep. The authorities had good reason to be watching him closely. Investigators were gathering what information they could from the unknown victims that Keyes had admitted to murdering at random, and they tried to use what they found to get a better understanding of who Keyes really was. And uh, there were definitely some signs that Keyes was thinking about committing suicide. At that point, did it say, Danny, if he was on suicide watch? Because he showed signs of being suicidal. Will you let me present this case, please? <laughs> in July of 2012, officers found Keyes in his cell with a makeshift noose. After this, Keyes was sent to the mental health unit of the jail, where he was placed in what the jail calls a suicide cell. This cell has no bed sheets or any other items that an inmate might try to use to harm themselves. Thanks for jumping ahead. You're welcome. I appreciate that. I do that for you. <laughs> However, Keyes was actually eventually moved back to the max security unit for long-term prisoners. This unit, uh, I'm sorry, this module was referred to as the Bravo mod by the correctional officers. 
and officials with the Department of Corrections said that he was no longer considered a suicide threat, and that's why he was moved back. Okay. So while he was back in the max security unit, Israel's cell was directly across from a metal guard table. He had bunk beds in his cell as well, even though he did not have a cellmate. Officer Jacobson, who was a five-year veteran correctional officer, was surprised that Keyes was moved to the Bravo mod. In later interviews, Jacobson said, quote, In the past, when we would have high-profile people, they'd be in camera cells on the other side of the building. Jacobson continued in saying that the rumor among the guards was that Keyes had, quote, made a deal with the feds that he'd tell them more of his story if he could move out of the suicide watch back to Bravo mod. Deal with the devil. Yeah. I love using that terminology now. I, I've noticed. <laughs> I think I've said that once, at least on every episode. Almost. Almost. Yeah. Uh, on the night of December 1st, 2012, Jacobson was assigned the overnight security post in the Bravo mod. He was the only officer on guard for 15 prisoners. Part of his duties was to do a visual inspection of every cell every half hour, as well as doing a formal count every four hours. It was reported that Keyes was last seen in his cell arranging items around, then getting into bed at 10.12 p.m. Jacobson left for a scheduled meal around this time, and another guard came in to replace him while he was on his break. Sometime after Keyes was last seen, at 10.12 p.m., he hid under his blankets and proceeded to slash his wrists with a razor blade that he had been given mistakenly by another correctional officer. He then used a makeshift noose to strangle himself as he was bleeding out. How do you accidentally give him a, what, what a, razor? You, a razor blade? I don't know. Okay, here's the thing, guys. My husband works overnights as a corrections officer. So everything Danny has said is true. They have to do a visual. I'm not, I don't know if it's every half an hour as of present time today. Right, but it was for the correctional facility that he was in. Right, and every correctional facility is different. Right, they're all run differently. Right, so, but they do have to do a visual inspection at least two to three times, you know, during that nine hour period of overnight. Right. Um, I mean, they actually have to, you know, peek into their windows and make sure. Here's the other thing, guys. Prisoners are allowed razor blades because it's part of hygiene. Right. So they can shave, they can, you know, make themselves clean. However, they are supposed to check those razor blades back in. To the, the COs. To the COs and then go to, you know, go do whatever, they, go yeah, back go to, to the bed cell. go to bed or go have their meal or whatever they're doing. Um, so. But we don't know if that's how this correctional facility was run. But I, I just, <laughs> I don't know how you mis- accidentally, I, mistakenly give this prisoner who was on suicide watch for a while how you can mistakenly give him a razor blade yeah i don't get it either i'm done (laughs) hands up where's my white flag so like i said he used the noose to strangle himself while he was bleeding out surveillance video was obtained from the prison um the camera's vantage point is above the guard's desk and is the only camera for the entire unit the recording from that night shows movement in key's cell and then at 10 24 p.m you see a jerk and then everything goes still. I'm going to find this video. Yeah. Well, because like if you remember, he was last seen by an officer at 10.12. And the video surveillance shows that there's a jerk at 10.24 and then everything goes there's, still. There's literally a 12 minute. 12 minute window. Guys, 12 minutes is nothing in a prison, okay? Right. That's, that's, 
some of you are probably like, well, 12 minutes is a long time. 12 minutes is nothing with these guys. In 12 minutes, a lot can happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if they had just done rounds to make sure everything was great, then Israel knew they probably would be back for another certain amount of time. Well, yeah, just just wait till we get in. I've got a lot more detail about his stay in, um, the, in the jail. All right, bring so, it. <laughs> when Officer Jacobson returned from his meal break, he resumed his duties. He made a total of 16 checks before the end of his shift, walking closely up to the darkened cells and peering in. Jacobson supposedly never noticed the blood that started to pool on the floor of Key's cell. According to prison reports, between checks, Jacobson would read, make conversation with other correctional officers through the prison's internal phone system, and at one point he even researched buying an airplane online. A statement from the Department of Corrections says that how Jacobson spent his time between checks distracted him to the point where his security checks were perfunctory. And for those of you who don't know what that word means, first of all, same, I I had no idea what it was. Secondly, uh, I looked it up, and it means something that is carried out with minimal effort. So Chris is broken right now, so I'm just going to keep reading. (laughs) Hold on for two seconds. Hold on, guys. Okay. I'm going to read this over for a minute because, (laughs) no, this bothers me to the core a lot. Yeah. Um, not because I feel some remorse for Israel Keys. I have no remorse for him. Officer Jacobson, I want to know how the hell you did not notice a pool of blood streaming out of a cell door. It never reported that it came out of the cell door. It just reported that it started to pool on the floor inside of his cell. Okay. But even still, if you're checking... On that that every means cell, that every means he minutes. didn't check. That means he did not check Israel Key's cell, or he just didn't do his job very well. Um, but we get into his statement when he defends himself later. Too. Secondly, I under here's the thing: um, when you're doing rounds like that, you guys, your only job is to be doing rounds. My husband has two jobs when he's at work. He can either be in a cell house, right, which is where he does his rounds. Or he is in a control tower. Now, not all of the control towers have computers. There's only specific ones that have controls. Or computers, I'm sorry guys, computers in it. He is allowed, my husband's allowed to be on the computers. But that is only when he is in those certain control centers. And that's after he has done everything that he is supposed to be doing. Right. Because when you're in the control towers, basically, I don't know, if, I don't know if you've seen them, Dave, but the control, you know, where you can open and close doors and yeah, do, exactly. let people in. That's what he. That's what he does sometimes. Right. But only certain ones have computers in it. So once he's done doing his job, then he can be on the computer. However, Officer Jacobson decided that he was going to be a total dickwad. And yes, I do say that to you, Officer Jacobson. Come at me, and you basically fucked up. I will say that loud and clear. You fucked up. I'm just going to leave my opinion out of it because I don't know enough. So I'm just going to let you have your opinion and that's fine. I want you to have it, but I'm (laughs) I'm not going to say anything on it because I, I don't have any family members or anything who are in corrections. Guys, this, this is just my opinion. Okay. This is not any kind of, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit of a dig at him, but um, 
And we'll see how things play out, too, because obviously there was an investigation and everything. So of course there was. we will go into that. All right, keep um, going. Jacobson told his supervisors that Keyes' cell was dark and that it appeared that Keyes was sleeping covered by his blanket. And he also said that Keyes often slept this way. So the next day, when the lights came back on, a day shift correctional officer who had relieved Jacobson at the end of his shift found Keyes in his cell just before 6 a.m. Keyes had already been dead for hours at this point. According to a report, Keyes' body was, quote, pale and in rigor. Keyes' mother, four sisters, and three brothers-in-law were the sole attendees at Keyes' funeral on December 8, 2012. No shame, no guilt, no remorse. Yeah. I mean, he definitely deserved to die. I just wish that we could have gotten more information out of him before he killed himself. Right. So the state did launch an investigation into the suicide that ultimately resulted in Officer Jacobson losing his job and the state basically using him as a scapegoat. Uh, The union came to Jacobson's defense saying that, quote, inmate Keyes is dead because one or more people authorized and moved him out of a suicide cell and because someone then gave him a razor, end quote. They went on to write that Jacobson was simply a convenient person to blame for an embarrassing lapse. Jacobson still ended up without his job and decided not to pursue a career in corrections after this, and instead he just became a maintenance worker. Okay. <laughs> you can say what you want to say. Nope. That's fine. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah, but this case is about Israel Keys, not Jacobson. So. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down a really bad path if I keep... Well, let's just focus on Israel then. <laughs> so before Israel's uh, successful suicide, he was interviewed for over 40 hours, like I mentioned. Uh, He admitted to other crimes to the FBI during these interviews and told them that all of the trips that he took around the U.S., scoping out places to find victims and finding places to hide his kill kits, these trips weren't funded by his construction business, which reportedly did make him a good amount of money because he was a talented carpenter. But instead of using the money he made from that, Keyes told investigators that he would rob banks and use the money from these heists to fund his travels around the United States. So I wonder, guys, if, I mean, like Danny said in part one, Israel basically said, you know, I I was living a double life. So I'm wondering if he used the carpenter money to, you know, make it look like he was as normal as possible. Yeah, I mean, he probably just used the money that he made from his construction business to, like, pay for his house and right. to pay for his life when he was home. Right, That that's, or, you know, help you know, take care of his daughter. Right, exactly. But then when he went on these trips, he used money that he stole because it probably wouldn't be able to be tracked back to him because it's stolen. That's what I was thinking, is that he stole the money to be able to fund these trips so that it wasn't traced back to him when he did a... Uh, when he did when he commit the murders. Crime. Yeah, because he would he would not only rob banks, but he also burglarized homes and stuff and took valuables and used the money from that. Obviously, with Samantha Koenig and the couriers, he took their ATM cards and, and tried to get their pins from them and everything. Right. So this stolen money funded his tour around the world of murder. Well, obviously, or around the U.S. at least. Obviously, he was successful with Samantha because he did obtain her pin and you know was able to funnel all that money out. Um, do we know if he was able to successfully get any money from the couriers? Um, it's not reported, but I assume that he probably did. He also admitted to Samantha Koenig's murder, as well as the courier couple during these interviews. He gave an actual confession. He even gave details of the courier murders, and investigators believe that the reason why Israel gave as much detail as he did about the couriers 
was because they believe that Keyes thought that investigators had evidence that already pointed towards him in the Courier's murders, although they didn't really have any ongoing investigation that exactly pointed at Israel. Investigators believe that Israel thought that they did, and that's why he gave as much detail as he did, and that's why we know as much as we do about Bill and Lorraine. He shot himself in the foot, you guys. Like, uh, oh, absolutely. Figuratively speaking, I think there's everyday people that are guilty of that when they think people know something and about them. And they just them, spew information. And then they realize that... Right. It's like in, in the movies or whenever when someone's like, did you do this? And the person who they're accusing is like, how did you find out? And the person who asks is like, well, you just confirmed it. So right. it's like... So it's kind of like a situation like Israel that. shot himself. In, I mean, he could have gotten away with that. If he had stayed quiet, Yeah, he could have gotten away with only being... Tied to to Samantha. Samantha. He even said at one point in relation to Samantha's murder that uh, this killing was actually at odds with his usual careful planning and that he had been feeling out of control. He even stated that, quote, back when I was smart, I would let them come to me. That's interesting. It's definitely interesting, too, because the psychology behind how he thinks. Yeah, because he, again, he said that he would let them come to him. Uh, How did he decide, like... Who can't, did he, was he just like right place, right time come to me or I just happened to. I think he just means that like all of the victims that he killed were very random, but they were the perfect victim in his eyes. And so because, because he happened just to stumble upon because of the way they lived their life, it was a perfect fit to how Keys liked to have his murders plan out because he was so meticulous and he had like a routine of how he did some of the things that he did. That That's actually very interesting. It's, the, the, it's annoyingly smart because he, he got away with it for so long because of the way that he committed he did, his murders. Yeah, he did. I so, mean, I, I'm sure he could have... He probably would have gotten away with it for a lot longer. I'm, I'm guaranteeing you he probably would have. He probably could have, especially because Samantha is actually the only victim from Alaska where he lived. Everyone else was from... Not only were they, did he never kill in the same place, but he never killed in the state he lived in until Samantha. Right. That, which forensically is just very smart. That's that's super. Unfortunately. Like, okay, I, I will say this. Bravo, Israel. Just be, for the meticulous, the pre-planning, all of it. Right. How fucking also, smart Also, I don't he think was. you meant to make that a joke, but you said Bravo, Israel, and that's the name of the max security unit that he was held in in prison, so... <laughs> Just a fun little, uh, fun little hit there. I yeah, I don't think I, I meant to say that, but congrats <laughs> so, on you, buddy. Yeah, uh, Israel also said that he killed others other than the couriers and Samantha. Um, however, it seems as though everything that I find about these confessions has a different number that Keys admitted to. I've seen some reports that say five. I've seen some reports that say eight different victims other than these three that we know of. He even was quoted in saying that he killed less than a dozen. And at one point during Key's incarceration, he would make himself bleed and he would draw pictures of skulls with his own blood. And during his incarceration, he made 12 drawings in all. And investigators speculate that these 12 drawings are himself and his 11 victims. But we may never know the actual total number of Israel Keys victims. I mean, he took it to the grave with him, guys. Yeah. 
So for 14 years, Israel Keys traveled across the country committing a series of monstrous rapes and murders. His methods completely defied the FBI's understanding of the traditional serial killer profile. He preyed on men, women, young, old, broad daylight, under the cover of darkness, just completely random. And although he didn't really have much of a victim profile, he did actually kind of have a little bit of a profile when he was looking for homes to find victims. Um, He was very meticulous with all of his work, like we've been saying this whole time, and he would look for houses where there were no children and there were no pets because obviously pets you, they can be completely un- unpredictable and honestly so can children you don't know if they're up in the middle of the night they could be roaming around they could scream they could find you when you're not expecting them to so he would always look for houses with no kids and no dogs and he also would look for houses with an attached garage because this was how keys liked to break into the house because he would get into the garage first and then through the attached garage get into the house interesting very 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 interesting actually yeah it's he was very smart very planned about how he went about finding his victims and for the victims that he claimed to have killed that weren't in homes um he would always try to find victims that were in isolated remote areas like campgrounds and parks he's also admitted in one of the interviews that had he not been caught he had dreams of building a house where he could imprison his victims what did I say, you guys? Absolutely insane. What did I... Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, Keys is definitely crazy. I want to end on a, a quote uh, from a woman. Her name is Yareth Rosen. She is a writer for Reuters.com. Um, and she did a really good piece on Keys. She's actually done more than one on him. One of the quotes from the piece that she wrote shortly after him getting caught was, she said... His suicide made him a rarity, a confessed serial killer who was never convicted of murder. I, I want to add something because Danny sent me the show me this just one little. I had no idea, um, besides that little snippet because you know he yeah. he thought it was so interesting that he wanted me to see it. Yeah, I found this quote so fascinating because I didn't send Chris a copy of the notes that I had for this case because I kind of wanted to surprise her with it. But I did show her that quote because I just thought like that was such a well put statement about Keys that a confessed serial killer who was never convicted of murder, like just absolutely wild because obviously he took his own life before he could ever even go to trial. He was still awaiting trial when he killed himself. And and that's what Danny actually had to explain to me because as I was reading it, I was like, Danny, how is he a confessed serial killer but he was never convicted of murder? And Danny was like, yo, he died before he went to trial. Yeah, he was was still awaiting trial when he killed himself. I was like, oh shit, oh shit, that makes sense. Yeah. So... And there's actually a book out that I'm reading right now on Israel Keys. Right. And this book is actually a great, great book. The author of this book was interviewed and she's made some really great statements about Israel Keys himself. And so I definitely suggest you to go uh, look up that interview, first of all, but also look up the book. It is called American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century. And the author's name is Maureen Callahan. So definitely go check that book out because the amount of detail it goes into mm-hmm. is crazy. But also the author just did an incredible job. She she really did. Guys, I am not even halfway through the book and I have been so sucked into this. 
it, it's just insane how much detail this book goes into. Yeah, it's great. So definitely check that out. But that was the case of Israel Keys. And are you guys shooketh? Yeah, I, I, I am. Uh, I wrote this. I wrote these notes, and I'm shook. Like this I, is crazy. I've got goosebumps, guys. Like literally the whole time Danny was presenting. It was just goosebumps after goosebumps after right. goosebumps. Just so absolutely crazy. So thank you again to Kaylin for suggesting this case. Yes, thank you, Kaylin. Big shout out to you and Dom, good friends of mine. Um, we hope you enjoyed this case. And next week, we want you to get your guesses in. We are going to be in Pennsylvania. And Chris is very mad at me because she wanted to do a very specific case next week. Which and we will. Which we won't. It's my, it's, we're going to go to Pennsylvania. We're not going to where you want to go. Not yet. Maybe the week after. <laughs> we'll guys, be in Pennsylvania. Get you guys, your guesses in. He does in. this to me every time. You're welcome. You're no, no, I'm trying I don't. to keep the listeners happy. Guys, I'm going <laughs> to, I'll tell you, you'll be happy if you just. I'll be happy if we keep them in suspense. Guys, I. <laughs> It'll be great. Don't worry about it. I so, think we have to start rock, paper, scissoring. Knowledgers, get your guesses in because we're going to be in Pennsylvania. So send us an email at serialknowledgepod at gmail.com. Send us your guesses. Uh, Again, send us your suggestions. Again, a big shout out to Kaylin for sending us her suggestion and getting us to do Israel Keys. Send us your suggestions and send us your guesses for next week. Also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash serialknowledgepod. That's our fan page where we post uh, updates as frequently as we can. Mostly it's just on Fridays when we release our episodes. We give you some info about what we are going to be covering that day. Um, But from that fan page, you can also find our group. And with that group, you can be a knowledger, basically. You can join the group and interact with other listeners, interact with us as well. We react and respond to anyone who tries to reach out to us as quickly as possible. So definitely find us there. Send us an email. But until next week, guys. Until next week. And I'm going to go piss Danny off because I'm going to figure out who the hell this is. (laughs) No, you won't. We'll catch you later, guys. Bye. Peace.